Hello, and welcome back to Dagish America Presents. I'm your host, Ben Harl, and I am so happy to have the opportunity to talk to you again about the industry that I work in. Last week, we spoke with Tim Larson about handling, storing, and transporting phosphine. There are some pretty specific regulatory requirements pertaining to the logistics of phosphine, and I'm glad that Tim was able to help clear some of those up. In this episode, we'll change gears a little and delve into planning and preparing for your phosphine fumigation. All fumigants can be dangerous if handled or used improperly, and because of this, it's vital that the fumigator plan and prepare before they ever apply a single gram of phosphine. Once the fumigant has been applied, your ability to make any changes becomes so much more difficult. I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who once said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. To help us understand what goes into planning for a fumigation, we've invited Jeff Wagoner to the podcast. Jeff is the Vice President and General Manager at Fumigation Service and Supply, and he has over 28 years in the fumigation industry. So, please help me welcome Jeff to the podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule today to discuss phosphine with us. Uh, My pleasure, man. All right. All right. Thanks. Uh, so uh, I just want to start right out of the gate. For anybody who may not know who you are, I, I know you've been in the industry a while, and I can't imagine there's too many people in the industry who don't know who you are yet. But uh, in case there are some folks out there who don't know you, uh, if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you relate to the industry, that'd be terrific. Sure. So um, I started with FSS, actually, in uh, 1995, officially full-time. I attended Purdue University prior to that. And um, really, I, I personally, I, I come from an agricultural background. I'm a farmer's son. I was raised on a small family farm and, you know, hard work was expected. I, I knew a lot about agriculture and ended up ending up in fumigation and pest management actually has allowed me to kind of see the other side of that and what happens after harvest and where the green goes and how it's processed. So, um, you know, it's been a really interesting career. So I've been in it about 28 years now, and I started out as just a general labor with the company and preparing fumigations, uh, structural and commodity fumigations is primarily what we do. But, you know, it, it kind of evolved. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, uh, the people in the industry. I enjoyed the process. Uh, seeing the start to finish, the completion, you know, and the successes and the challenges therein. But yeah, it's been a it's been a great, very rewarding career. I've had a lot of great mentors, a lot of great colleagues in the industry, you know, very supportive family. My wife, who likes to celebrate July 4th, uh, you know, a week later or a week <laughs> earlier because we're, we're, we're getting ready for a very busy weekend. But no, I've, you know, I've been blessed with, you know, a great opportunity here. I'm kind of blending a little bit of family and, and, and work because we've kind of got both environments going on here at FSS and uh, you know, it's very family oriented. So I've been, you know, blessed, like I say, I've, I've got a wife of 22 years and, and uh, four beautiful children and a very rewarding career. So that that's kind of where I'm at now. I've, 
you know, in charge of um, the vice president of operations here for the company. So I wear a lot of different hats and the diversity of the, of the opportunity here is something that I really enjoy. You know, I will put the uniform on on a busy holiday weekend and go out and get dirty and, and try to teach some of the newer guys something that I know um, that they may not yet. And then, you know, do podcasts with uh, people like Ben Harrell and, <laughs> and uh, present, presentations for a lot of trade organizations and things. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very rewarding career. And I've, I've really learned and grown a lot uh, professionally and personally. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really enjoy about our industry the most is I, I like to say that when you work in our industry, one collar has to be white and the other collar has to be blue. You, you can't spend all your time in the right. office. You have to get out and get your hands dirty, but you do get a lot of opportunities in a lot of the roles to really work on a lot of the things that general field work doesn't do, like you know, uh, speaking at seminars and helping test new chemicals or new application processes. There's a lot of different aspects to the job and no single day is the same as the previous or the following. And it really makes it challenging in one of the best possible ways. That's for sure. The, the, the bugs are, I forgot to give credit to the bugs. So, they, you know, they, they're, making, <laughs> yeah. they're making all this possible, but it is a very, a very dynamic field, even though fumigation, especially you know, what I would consider commercial fumigation or post-harvest fumigation, which, you know, includes grain and, and processing and milling and food production and distribution. Um, even back on the export side, it's pretty niche market within pest control industry. Not a lot of people know a lot about it, even though fumigation probably occurs way more than a lot of people know. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I, I like to say that I, I think Almost all food products that are processed in the United States, not all of them, but the majority of them have fumigation touch them at some point in their journey from the farm to the fork. That would be an accurate assessment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, this season, we're kind of drilling down into one particular fumigant. You know, last season, we talked a lot about a wide variety of topics related to fumigation. This season, we're kind of talking mostly about phosphine. And I know that you've had a lot of experience with phosphine, same as me, but I wanted to bring somebody in to kind of talk about some of the mechanics of a phosphine fumigation, some of the nuts and bolts on how we actually use phosphine on a regular basis. So uh, my first question for you is really just kind of about the general paperwork of the fumigation management plan. And I was hoping maybe you can kind of define what a fumigation management plan is and then just a, a description on how we use it. Sure. So the... Fumigation Management Plan, or FMP is the acronym, pretty widely is what it's referred to. Um, there is a, a periodic, you know, phosphenols, all pesticides do go through periodic reviews. And I remember, I think it was around 1999, something like that, where there was a PID issue or a proposed interim decision about phosphine. And, and some of the RMMs that came out were a 750 foot notification zone and a 500 foot like no fumigation zone and that caused quite an uprising as you can imagine oh, yeah. in, the, yeah. in the industry and people were just you know beside themselves with that it was seemed pretty arbitrary not a lot of uh, supporting documentation as to why you might implement something like that and affect so many users so you know which Ironically, here we are again, right, faced with some, some buffer <laughs> yeah. zone issues 
here recently. I don't know if you've talked about that on previous podcasts or not, but we, we've kind of come full circle with it. But, you know, I understand that. So, but the, the FMP really was a big deal when it came out. And surprisingly, you know, a lot of companies and, and even private applicators really struggled to get on board with it. We used to use a process before FMP was a thing, and we called it vital statistics or something like that. It was just a process of recording, you know, the site, site contact information, emergency information, what we were walking into. This was before smartphones and before, you know, Google and all that. And so you really had to keep pretty good documentation. We even include things like driving directions and how to get there. Yeah. You know, turn left at, uh, you know, Farmer Johnson's place but because you know, we were you know, doing a lot of grain bins out in the, in the middle of in the middle of the country so as we got on more and more on board with the process we created an fmp basically and i believe it was degish's phosphatoxin label that outlined it and i went through that line item by line item and created a fillable document and then we kind of shared that with whomever you know online i think it was put on our website at the time and and we continued to train on that and and try to, you know, spread the word. And it was quite some time and it, it, you know, it's taken years really for that to become really a part of the process. And that, you know, kind of, it was kind of amazing to me to think that there were applicators maybe that weren't thinking through some of these things and rightfully so this FMP came about and it's really been a good thing for the industry for, you know, for safety and, and just risk mitigation and all that. I'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but so the FMP just really consists of several things that are outlined in the product label. You know, things like I mentioned, your contact information, site information, conditions, you know, on how you're going to ensure the safety of everyone involved, how you're going to use the product properly. So we put together what we call like a pre-FMP. So before the fumigation, we go through all these things and think through the process. So we don't overlook something that's critical. And then and, and then that, that kind of gets communicated through all the parties that need to be involved are, of course, engaged in this process. And then following the fumigation, we'll offer a final FMP. And we're, we're doing it all digitally now. It's we, we have a customer portal where all this documentation, this fine, these final FMPs get uploaded. And then really a, a process of checks and balances where, you know, a customer is not going to miss out on this critical documentation because it is part of the label. It is law. It is required. So um, we've just really tried to refine that process and make sure we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. And that, that's important. So, Right. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that, that you actually start that process before the fumigation actually takes place you know, during the planning stages, because I think that there's so much involved with the planning of a fumigation. Every fumigation is different. Even if you're fumigating the same location year after year, every time you fumigate, there's always an opportunity for those fumigations to be slightly different. And so those planning, that planning stage is vital to make sure that you're having a successful fumigation. And so what are some of the things that you think are big concerns that need to be addressed specifically during the planning stage of the fumigation? Yeah, well, that's you know a great question, and nobody. I don't like I like surprises, but I don't like surprises <laughs> for when, I, when I'm at work. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the phone call you get that you know you got to react to, and and things happen. You know, certainly with this high, you know, high risk industry that we're in, there's always opportunity for that. But 
you know, we put it on our clothing, Ben. It's it's safety first. And I've spent years and, and we spend a lot of time training uh, our people what to look for, how to be safe, equipping them properly, um, and empowering everyone at the company on how to work safely and, you know, that they have the authority to refuse unsafe working conditions, whether that's imparted on them by a fellow coworker or whether it's something that a customer might ask them to do that may be unsafe. So we, we, we really spend a lot of time and effort in teaching our, our staff how, and team members how to be safe. So, you know, we're, we're looking to protect our people. So the applicators, we're also empowering them and educating them so that they can help protect bystanders. You know, those are the people who are totally ignorant of the event. They don't know what phosphine is, don't know the dangers they're in. So we have to be able to protect them as responsible applicators. And then I'd say, you know, protection of the facilities, safety of the facilities, um, you know, with some of the properties of phosphine, you can harm facilities or electronics or something like that in a structure. So how to go about protecting facilities and then the products, the products are the you know, that's where the our customers are or how our customers are getting paid, which then in turn allows them to pay us for our services. So we have to make sure that we're protecting the products. And finally, the safety of our of the consumer. You know, you don't want an adulterated product to go out there. And you know, risk mitigation, I'd say kind of falls in the safety bucket too. Right. You know, I feel like with phosphine as a gas, it, it gets in, it gets out, it does its job, it doesn't leave residues and things of that sort on the product. So I, I feel like fumigation is a, a very effective means of pest management, but mitigating, you know, risk is something else that we always have to be concerned with. And we're looking out for, you know, our customers don't always know the inherent risks of fumigation. So through the FMP process and just through great communication and you know, kind of a safety first mentality, I think we're able to accomplish a lot of those things. Uh, the second thing I'd say was probably efficacy. You know, there's a big commitment there. You know, a company makes commitment to have safe product or protect their commodity. You know, they're they're shutting down operations, perhaps. You know, which in the grand scheme of things, the cost of shutting a facility down can be quite substantial compared to the cost of fumigation. So sure. we want to make sure that their return on their investment is realized by controlling the pest that, you know, we're targeting, you know, that's why they've hired us. They know that there's risk there. They want us to, you know, we're a threat there to their, to their commodity. And we want to make sure that we return on that investment for them. We know a decision isn't always an easy decision, you know, albeit fumigation is very, very effective. Uh, sometimes there's pressure either to not treat or to not shut down and, and just kind of keep going. So, you know, we want to make sure that the customer, you know, the decision maker in the process also is rewarded by making the decision to fumigate. So sure. I also think this for the sake of simplicity here, I'm going to lump some things together, but your resources. So I'll lump time, personnel, um, and equipment into that. So, you know, you're in the planning stage of fumigation. You really, on the preparations, so you really need to know what you're kind of getting into. So equipping the people properly. So whether it's PPE, fall protection, confined space entry, uh, personal monitoring, respiratory protection, uh, you know, gloves, whatever it is, steel toe shoes, you name it, Ben, we, we, we try to make all that stuff available 
to our people, allocating the proper number of people to do a given job. I mean, fumigation is not easy. Sometimes there's some long hours involved. Sometimes there's hot conditions involved. Sometimes it's climbing, lifting, repelling. There's a lot that goes into it depending upon what you're fumigating. And making sure you've allocated enough people to get the job done safely is is an important part of preparation. And then also allowing yourself enough time to prepare, you know, starting work early enough, you know, allowing enough time of exposure to accomplish the efficacy goals that we have in mind and not trying to shorten things and really, really communicating all these things effectively to the customer beforehand. It was all a good part of planning and preparation. So I, I'd say, you know, shorting any of these things can lead to failure in one way or another. And it's failure is not really, not really in my vocabulary. <laughs> An ounce of prevention is worth, you know, a pound of cure. So I'll quote Ben Franklin on that one. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm so glad that, you, I mean, you mentioned a lot of really key points on what makes fumigation successful. And the planning stage is so important. I, I would put it right up there with the actual application process, the aeration. I mean, it, you know, every part is important and achieving the desired result on every step is important. But if you don't plan properly, you're setting yourself up for a potential failure. And nobody wants that. Like you said, failure should not be in our vocabulary. So all of these points that you brought up are absolutely fantastic points that need to be considered. Something that I didn't add in there really was, was sealing. Uh, sealing is something that is probably the a majority of the work in, in preparing for fumigations. The complexity of some of the facilities that get fumigated and the structures that get fumigated are large. I mean, these are, you know, you're, you're talking cubic footage. I'm not going to get into the calculations yet, but the volume of some of these structures and the sealing that goes into it are, you can put a week's worth of work into a weekend real easily. And I'll, and a majority of that is on the ceiling side and preparation side. So, you know, be sure to take that into account when you're preparing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I've been in situations, and I know you have too, where the amount of phosphine or fumigant that you're using is relatively small, but the complexity of the facility calls for a, a very high amount of labor because of the type of sealing and preparation that you have to do. So you can't really just go by the quantity of fumigant that you're using. I mean, these all of these facilities have a wide varying complexities, and all of that needs to be taken into consideration during the planning stage. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, you know, they're all, they're all different. I mean, I've never seen, well, I won't say never, but you rarely see two grain bins that look alike or two ships that look alike or two buildings that look alike so every everyone has kind of a unique fingerprint if you will and and you just have to adjust accordingly to the personality of the of the situations yeah and i just briefly mentioned the amount of phosphine or the amount of fumigant that's being used which segues into my next question for you which has to do with calculating those dosages I wanted to ask you if you could just kind of go over how a fumigator would go about calculating phosphine dosages. I mean, I know the label explains it, but there's a lot of variance in that label. And it's good that there's variance because it leaves it up to the experienced fumigator to kind of make some distinctions uh, based on a case-by-case basis. But if you could just kind of tell us how you go about calculating phosphine dosages, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, dosage calculations always seem to stump people when they get to that stage or, sure. or when they're, you know, where they're, they're applying for a license or something like that. It's like, oh, I just, 
I can't get past the dosage calculations. And there's um, the, the guardrails, I would call them, the labels put up are suggestive. You know, they allow some variance in there for the fumigator in charge to make the final determination as to, you know, how many cells you're putting in or how many pellets you're applying. So that's good, I, I think, but also that comes with a, a bit of a responsibility, um, which, you know, for the fumigator in charge to make that determination. And I think a lot of experience also helps kind of ease this process of, of determining and, you know, what the proper dosage would be without grossly, um, you know, under dosing. You, you certainly don't want to overdose either, but you know, I've kind of always used Phosphine was always challenging because there wasn't that you know definitive calculator with it to say well you need uh, X amount of you know product but I, I like that because I could customize within that range or within that recommendation to what I felt was was suitable and what I knew was going to do a good job so you know I always kind of look for an average of 750 ppm for 72 hours at, at, at roughly 75 degrees Fahrenheit and that that's kind of my the, the three pillars really I kind of look for you know, nothing under that. And knowing that 72 hours, depending upon what dosage you chose, you know, ALP and, and magnesium phosphate are going to liberate over time. You got some load factor in there. So your levels are going to be higher than 750 at some point. They're going to be lower starting out and they'll probably be lower on the tail end of your exposure time. But you want probably an average in there of about 750. If you're targeting all life stages, which in most cases, you know, you're, you're trying to penetrate a kernel of wheat that may have an immature uh, larva or immature egg or something like that of a you know rice weevil or lesser grain borer or something like that that it can do a lot of damage and you're trying to get in there to kill that you got to make sure that you hold high enough gas concentrations for a long enough time at the right temperature range in order to control them so you know i would say looking at the label i mean this is your guide on dosage Calculating the, the bushels is pretty easy. Usually you're going to have, you know, a site manager or somebody there that's going to know, you know, the metric tons or how many bushels the facility holds. If it's cubic footage, there's some pretty basic calculations for a box like with height or the triangular shaped roof and then cylindrical shaped silos or whatever. Um, those things can be readily found. And then you just take your measurements, apply it to those variables. And I come up with an accurate starting point, which is the volume, you know, whether it's cubic footage or whatever. So that's your starting point. And then from there, I think you got to dictate, you know, or determine, you know, how leaky is this structure? Is it a welded steel vessel that's going to seal up and be watertight? Or is it a, a pretty antiquated grain bin that's, that's probably going to leak a lot? So you got to go on the higher end for that. And and then also, you know, some of the requirements for fumigation are going to dictate to you what those dosage rates should be based on, uh, you know, how much is in the facility or in the structure. You take that guideline and then you apply it and then you'll come up with how much product you should be using. I know that for, especially for new fumigators, it seems like calculating dosages can be pretty daunting at first, but the more you do it, the easier it does get. And, you know, that's where the planning really comes in handy. You know, I mean, all these facilities are a little bit different. You know, sanitation can sometimes play a part. Temperature plays a large part. 
you know, the, the length of time that the facility is going to be giving you for the exposure period plays part. So there's all these different factors that you kind of have to know in order to help you calculate those phosphine dosages. And then you have the guidelines on the label as well. Uh, so your train of thought on how you approach it is more what I was going for. And that was a, that was some great information that you shared. So I really appreciate that. Now, when it comes to actually applying the phosphine fumigant, what are some of the things that need to be taken into consideration during the actual application process? Yeah, so I, I would, you know, you got to watch out for exposure. Phosphine is, you know, a gas. So without a respiratory system, insects are much more tolerant to phosphine, right? It takes right. higher doses for a longer time. You and I, not so much. So we have to be very careful wear the proper PPE. That's very important and that's, you know, personal protective equipment, you know, understanding what levels you can be in and what levels you should not be in, what the appropriate respiratory protection is to put on, you know, if you've got that 0.3 PPM TWA, if you're higher than that, you need to, you know, you need to put your mask on. If you don't, if it's above 15 PPM and you, or you don't know, you should really be wearing a self-contained breathing apparatus. So those are the, the guidelines for it. But really kind of knowing, I think, the conditions that you're in. So I think personal monitoring is very important to make sure you can protect yourself for all the reasons that we, you know, we've said above. You know, a careless fumigator is not going to have a very long career. <laughs> yeah. uh, one, you know, one way or another. So, you know, you got to be aware and protect yourself. With the properties of solid phosphine or solid aluminum phosphide or magnesium phosphide, you know, moisture is always problematic. It accelerates that reaction time so quickly and, and heat is a byproduct of it. And with, that, with accelerated reaction, you can get levels that, that can be uh, flammable. So you have to be very careful of your surroundings. The FMP process, I think, is going to help you be aware of potential issues. You know, you've, you've got always got threat of rain, something leaking, um, wet grain or condensation that can happen with large temperature differentials and things like that, um, stack commodities and, and sweating and things inside grain bins. So uh, those are some of the things you really need to watch during the application process. There's always a threat with phosphine for some spontaneous combustion, whether it's opening a flask, opening a magnesium strips or something like that. There's always that risk. It's very slight, and I've probably only had it happen a, a couple of times. But inevitably, you need to be very careful and very aware of the hazards. So I think education will, will go a long way in, you know, in prevention again. And um, just being aware you know, uh, of what the risks are and what can happen, immediate threat, and then down the road, what, what can happen too. You, know, you may have uh, gas move from a target structure you know, the good thing about phosphine is it, it penetrates very well. And then the bad thing sometimes about phosphine is it, <laughs> it moves very well. Yeah. So yeah. you, know, you got to be aware of what gas can show up a long way away from the target structure if you didn't get a tunnel blocked off or identified or, or something like that. So, you know, be aware. Just be very aware. So. Yeah. And most of what we keep uh, circling back to is the preparation part of it. You know, uh, being aware and being prepared for these things to potentially take place. You know, I mean, it, the preparation is so important. And, you know, having that FMP, 
filled out as much as you can uh, in preparation or, or, or the pre-inspection, uh, pre-application inspection, all that stuff is so vital. And I mean, one of the most most vital things, you know, a lot of people think that the phosphine or, or the fumigant itself is the most vital part. But in my opinion, I think the most vital part is the paperwork. Uh, and having that paperwork trail built and being able to document and keep track of everything that you've done at these facilities. I think it's extremely important to be able to have that paperwork available and have it filled out properly and track everything that you're doing. I, it's my opinion. I'm quite sure that you agree with me, but I was going to ask you, in your opinion, why do you think that that paperwork trail is so important when it comes to uh, phosphine fumigations? So I, I think, you know, nothing can really run a successful fumigation you know, that you did everything right on, like having some missing documentation at the end of it. It's like, yeah. you know, it's having your best financial year and then not paying taxes. So, you know, the, the auditor is going to find you and it's not going to be good. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, in the digital age, though, it's it's pretty easy to keep tabs on this stuff. And we, we've kind of created a process of Filling out when we schedule the event, you know, it's got to have an F, a pre-FMP attached to it. And before you invoice the final event, it, it's got to have a completed FMP. And those things are something that our, our wonderful admin people keep tabs on. So we've gotten much better at documentation. We've, we've gotten more efficient at documentation. So, but it, it is a, it's a struggle. There's a lot going on and there's just a lot to capture but the thing is, is part of our jobs, too, is, is I'm always looking down the road a little bit, like what can happen? And I think curious people and, and forward thinking people make great fumigators and um, oh, yeah. great fumigation managers because they can see what needs to be done. You know, these are the guys that recognize when you're when you're out working with them, you can always tell, you know, he's going to be great because they're, you know, they're working ahead and, and they, they weren't told to. So I can get off base here a little bit, but. You know, you're looking down the road as to what can happen. If there is a product issue, if there is a quality issue, if there's a structural issue, if there's poor efficacy and there's insects found later, if you don't have good documentation to back your story up, it didn't happen. Right. And God forbid somebody gets hurt. If you didn't document that, oh, well, I was there at that time and here's my reading or if i cleared the facility and here's my you know here's my reading at, at this time and the person was making the claim for later i mean my, my wife's an attorney ben and so if there's anybody that knows anything about defending <laughs> themselves it's me you know it's yeah. like every day so you got to have good documentation to prove success or to help provide proof against failure so um when when you might you know falsely be accused of something sure yeah and so, i mean documentation like this gets brought up in litigation not all the time but often enough that it's extremely important that everything you do is is indeed documented yeah if you're if you're in fumigation business long enough and hopefully you're fortunate enough to have a, a long you know successful career safe career but inevitably there'll be someone claim that your fumigation didn't work or that this was caused by fumigation. And inevitably someone is going to say that they, they were sick because of the fumigation. It, it is a part of what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. We mitigate a lot of those risks for our clients because 
we've been there, done that. And documentation is one way where we help, you know, help clients through the process safely. So I only have one more question for you on uh, today's podcast, Jeff. And I like to ask this of everybody, you know, and we've talked a lot about individuals today and you talked about, you know, forward thinking people and having people on staff that can recognize what the needs are in the future and are good at planning and good at preparation. So let's say that you have a brand new fumigator that that you've hired on, or you know a brand new fumigator. This person may not even be a licensed fumigator yet at this point. It could be somebody that's just day one of the job. What kind of advice would you give that new fumigator about the safe use of phosphine? Well, I got a good point of reference for you, Ben. It, I was 20 years old when I received a, a brand new fumigation license to kill, right? <laughs> yeah. And I probably wasn't worthy of having a fishing license, let alone a fumigation license. So, but I'll tell you what, the, the industry is so full of great people who are willing to share because I think they enjoy the industry so much. And I've I found this to be true of a lot of associations that we're in. So, you know, getting engaged and getting involved would be one because, you know, you can learn a lot by participating in those from a lot of great minds and great people that are in the industry. And, and do, you can do outreach to experienced applicators. You know, I had great mentors when I was starting out in the, in the fumigation business. And uh, at FSS, there, was, there were a lot of people who already kind of knew and, and had kind of already done a lot of these applications. So they could kind of help guide me and mold me into a, a good fumigator, I guess. So, and then I think, you got to inform yourself uh, about the products to be a good steward of the product, to be able to offer the quality services that we want to provide as, you know, commercial applicators or private applicators. You got to know what the limitations are of, of the product of the molecule. And then you got to, you got to protect yourself at all times so that you can protect others. And you got to use PPE, always monitor that way, you know, because if you if you don't know, you're you're just putting yourself in a, in a compromising position. I would say communicate and document effectively as possible, as we talked about here. You know, communication is very important. You know, not just through documentations and emails and customer portals and things like that, but verbal communication is it can be very effective. Um, also, you know, I would also include with the effective use of phosphine here. Having being aware of the age of the molecule in the industry and the potential for resistance and the importance to be successful with efficacy and not have failures. Um, you know, dead insects don't breed resistance. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big concern, and I think something that you know the younger guys they're going to maybe have to face a an issue with phosphine someday. Who who knows? But um, we've certainly seen that. So you know, just be be educated you know, as educated as possible. Like I say, you can't learn enough about fumigation through a book. There's not a lot of, I think, great resources on how to in a book. So most of it is getting out there, working with a great mentor, experiencing it firsthand, being in the field, you know, conducting fumigations is not something you do from behind a, a computer. So if you enjoy diversity, you enjoy challenge, you like to, you're not afraid to work hard. You're not afraid to put the hours in. 
I think fumigation for a young person today is a great place to be. And, uh, you know, we're always looking for great people. And I know I'm looking forward to mentoring the next generation in and, and helping them create a, a great career for themselves. Yeah. yeah and I, I applaud and echo your sentiments there. Absolutely. I, I think that everything you said is spot on. And I couldn't agree more about our industry. I absolutely love the industry that we work in. The amount of diversity that you have, the amount of mentorship that's available, uh, the camaraderie that you get with your coworkers. I, I mean, it's this industry is just second to none, in my opinion. I've enjoyed every day that I've been in this industry. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this I, I really appreciate you having me on. Just talking about it, you and I get to see each other occasionally around the <laughs> yeah. trade show uh, circuit. But uh, it's good to do this. This first one for me. I hope uh, some people out there get something out of it. And um, you know, you you guys are doing a great thing for the industry here. I think so. I don't know too many fumigation podcasts, Ben. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And I definitely yeah. think people will find a lot of value in the conversation that we had today. And I can't thank you enough for that. I really appreciate Great. your time today, Jeff. Yeah, been my pleasure. All right. Thanks. I want to thank Jeff Wagner for joining us today to discuss planning and preparing for phosphine fumigations. If you plan in advance, follow the regulatory requirements, and calculate the dosages correctly, your chances of success dramatically improve, which means you'll enjoy another safe and effective fumigation. On the next episode of Dagish America Presents, we'll be talking about the importance of monitoring your phosphine fumigation. After all, if you don't monitor, you can't really measure your success, now can you? And remember, if you have a question you'd like for us to answer during our live season finale, please feel free to send it to us at podcast at degishamerica.com. Or if you like, we can always answer your question right away. You can also find us at degishamerica.com or on all of the main social media outlets. So until next time, I'm Ben Harl, and I hope you have a safe and terrific day. <music>